0: Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to the Bleed Orange or Blue podcast. I am your host, Chris. This is a Knicks podcast where I will talk about everything that there is to talk about. Knicks. For today's episode, I will talk about the Knicks coaching search and free agent targets uh, that I would like for the Knicks to look at. Um, so let's get right into it. Uh, for the coaching search, there's this feels like a reoccurring theme for the Knicks. Every two years, we're always looking for coaches. You know, if a coach lacks anything really and they can't win games or they don't have the the right system in order to win, uh, the Knicks are very, very quick to fire a coach. Uh, We've seen it a lot. I just want to say that for the candidates, I only have two candidates that I want to look into because they are the two candidates that are mostly connected with the Knicks. also, I just want to say real quick, I am not a big Mark Jackson guy. Please, I don't want Mark Jackson. That's just me. I know a lot of the fan base feels the same, but then there's a lot of Nick fans who saw Mark Jackson play for us, um, and they really love Mark, but I myself do not. He had a lot of off-court drama uh, during his time with the Warriors. Uh, his offense was very, very ISO based. He he just didn't really have much of an offense. He I guess he you know, he worried too much about defense and making sure that the team played defense, but their offense was, was pretty bad considering that they had uh young up and coming, Steph Curry and uh Clay Thompson. At the time I think they also had David Lee and Draymond was just becoming the player that Ended up being a big role for that team. Never in his time with the Warriors were they a top 10 offense. As far as, you know, offensive ratings and everything. They The closest they got was 12, Which was his final season there with the Warriors. And as soon as Steve Kerr came into, um, into the picture. The Warriors instantly became the number one offense in the NBA. You know. Under Mark Jackson, it was pretty much a lot of hero ball and isolation. So that's just something that I think the Knicks need to stay away from. It's we saw it already with David Fizdale. It was very bad. It, we all hated it so much. Uh, it's just something that we just can't go back to. And you know, I don't, I don't really like how you listen to uh, Stephen A. Smith and he says. Oh well, the Knicks for the coach. Um, as a coach, they need, you know, like the face of the brand or blah blah blah. But I just feel like I really like the Knicks having um a coach who's strictly about coaching. I'm tired of the headlines. I'm tired of um just having, you know, just the media. You know, just nitpicking things that the coaches will say. You know, I don't. I don't want that. And I know that with Mark Jackson, that's what we're going to get whether he does a good job or not. Um, I think most recently, we don't have a lot of, uh, there hasn't been a lot of reports of the Knicks actually considering him too much, but for me, it's a no-go. Uh, the next coach that I really want to look into is the coach that a lot of people are fifty-fifty on. This is Tom Thibodeau. Uh, he, he's very well-known for... His success with the Chicago Bulls, Uh, his overall coaching record is 352 wins and 246 losses. Um, Thibodeau has pretty much won everywhere that he's gone, which is only the Bulls and um, the Timberwolves. These are the only two teams that he coached as a head coach. The Bulls, when he was on the Bulls, they were most well known for being a just a defensive powerhouse. Like they, they played defense, and that was di- their identity. Um, he he really had that team playing real strong all the time. The offense wasn't great. Uh, when when he had MVP Rose, that was the only season in which the Bulls actually ranked as a top five offense. So I know everybody remembers watching the Bulls and them battling and playing real hard. Even when Rose was was out, Uh, Joakim Noah was a big, big factor in those teams. Um, So yeah, a lot of fans don't want from um, Bob Thibodeau is that he's not the best offensive coach. Uh, defense. We know that defense is his is his main thing. Like he he emphasizes defense on his teams, and his players are going to play hard. Under the Timberwolves, that was kind of a weird situation because he was the head coach and he was also the president of basketball operations. So he was in charge of trading and signing players and uh everything that the president of basketball operations is in charge of. Um I think no coach has ever been successful in that position. Not even Doc Rivers when he had like full control of the Clippers. He, you know, it's just uh, I I feel like it, it just doesn't work out in the NBA if you have two positions to juggle it's too much. You can't split yourself in half you know, to be the president and the coach. So I personally think that that's something that really affected him when he was coaching the Timberwolves. He was a part of the Timberwolves only for two seasons um, and, and a half. That last season was cut short before they fired him. He finished that season with, I believe it was a 19-21 and 21 record. They were very, I think there was a lot of Jimmy Butler drama during that last season as well. But more interesting enough, when during his time with the Timberwolves uh, for those two full seasons, they ranked top 10 in offense. That's, I don't know. I I was looking through the numbers, and that's something that really was uh, very interesting to me because he's never been known to be, you know, this offensive coach or a coach to have a team just play that well on offense and on the flip side they were ranked really really low on defense uh in both seasons. They both in both seasons they ranked uh twenty seventh in the entire NBA. That's that's terrible. Now is that Thibodeau not being able to coach the team or is that something that has to do with the players that he had on the team? He had Jimmy Butler, and we all know what happened with Jimmy Butler and um, and Car Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins as well. Uh, there was a lot of drama where Jimmy Butler pretty much opened up uh, publicly that he felt like the young guys just weren't trying hard enough. And uh, Tom Thibodeau, you know, he was in charge of the team, so I don't know. It's I guess he just didn't manage it correctly as well. I think that the reason they didn't play good defense was because uh, two of their main players that were playing a lot of minutes was Car Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, both who are not known to be um, high-level defenders. Their their scorers cat is a phenomenal scorer. He he's great. He's one of the best scoring big men in the game. But in defense, we all know that defense is where he lacks. So I think that he really tried to get the most out of them, but it just didn't work out. Those are they were really young players, but also, like I said, they were top ten offense in both seasons um in the second season, the second full season, which was their most successful one. They ranked dead last in three points three pointers attempted and three pointers made. So that's just a glaring issue on Thibodeau and his offense of how he likes to play his players. In the modern NBA in today's date, you need to shoot threes. It's you, you can't really escape it unless you have no three point shooters. I guess that team didn't have too many three point shooters but they to rank that last year not gonna make it that far in the NBA. Where do I stand on on Tom Thibodeau and whether or not I want him on the Knicks? I'm a little split. I think I think that he's a great coach and everywhere that he's gone, he's 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 just found a way to win. I think that he can um I think he can build a team from ground up, we saw it with uh, the Chicago Bulls. He developed that team to become title contenders. If it wasn't for Derrick Rose um, injuring himself, who knows? Maybe they could have won the championship or made it to a finals at least. Of course, LeBron James was at the peak of his career at, during that time. He was in Miami, but he developed Joakim Noah, uh, Derrick Rose, Luo Deng, Jimmy Butler, uh, Taj Gibson, you know the all those players. Um, they turned out to be great. They they were really good players for a lot of years. But one of his biggest criticisms is he loves to run players to the ground, and that's something that even happened in on the Timberwolves. He he was playing Jimmy Butler, Karl Anthony Towns, and Andrew Wiggins for. Thirty five minutes plus for the season. That that you can't have that anymore in the NBA. You know, just studies and everything. It it it'll you, you can just find that like find it it's super easy to see that players who play a lot of minutes are more injury prone or they can get hurt or um the wear and tear on their bodies. It's just something that coaches need to handle correctly and that's something that he hasn't handled correctly. Most recently on a interview on ESPN, he said that he was going around from team to team, like right now, that he's not a coach anymore. And that he's learned, I guess, from his mistakes is pretty much what he tried to make it seem like about Lord management and uh, not overworking his players. But I don't know how much of that is true. We don't, we don't really know. I guess we won't find out until he does one day become a coach again, whether that's with the Knicks or not. But I do think that if he were to be named coach of the Knicks, I do think that he can find some success here. Our three well, three of our main core young guys are defensive minded, which fit his style of basketball. Just they fit it really well. He'll have a rim protector in Mitchell Robinson. Uh, Mitch Robinson we all know he protects the rim at an elite level Um, he's very efficient scoring in the post whether it just be lobs or put back dunks or whatever but um, he has Mitch Robinson RJ Barrett he's you know a slasher which is sort of how Jimmy Butler came along early in his career RJ plays some pretty good defense He's not the worst, he's not the best, but he does play some pretty good defense. And we have our beloved Frank Nilikina. You know, Frank, his calling card is defense. He's not the best on offense, he's really not that great at anything on offense besides free throw shooting, but defense is his main thing. And we all know that Thibodeau has brought out the best out of what he's been given um, in his past teams, you know. I think that he could make it work somehow on this team. It just all depends. I don't, I I don't want the Knicks to go back to playing how Fizdale had us playing. Now, I don't think that um coach Tibbs is as bad as Fizdale. No, he's not. He's he's a winner. He can he, he knows how to win, but the same playing style, half court offense, iso ball, that's just something that I don't want the Knicks to go back to. We're not in the, in the 90s no more. You know, It's 2020 now. Teams shoot a lot of threes. It's either threes or driving to the rim. So that's pretty much where I stand with Thibodeau. I see positives. I see negatives. I guess we'll, well, we'll have to wait and see and find out. The next coaching candidate, I was going to talk about Kenny Atkinson, but... I think, as of recently, the Knicks haven't really been linked to him too much. So, I'm going to talk about our interim coach, Mike Miller. Um, Mike Miller took over after Fisdale was fired and had an atrocious start to the season. From the moment that he took over the Knicks to the season ended, which was cut shortly, uh, Mike Miller finished with a record of 17 wins and 27 losses. Yes, that's under 500 but that's far more wins than Fisdale's team was projected to win Um, over the last 17 games um, the last 17 games of the season uh, Mike Miller held the Knicks he to an eight and nine record that's that's pretty awesome the Knicks really did start playing a lot better with Mike Miller as the coach when he took over the Knicks they were dead last in field goal percentage under Fizdale. They were just playing just terrible basketball. Uh, I, I, It was just the worst basketball I've seen the Knicks play in a long time. They couldn't get easy buckets. They weren't shooting a lot of threes. They, it was just bad. So they were dead last when Fizdale was fired. Under Miller's tenure... From then on, the Knicks were ranked nineteenth in the entire NBA. So they jumped up about eleven spots. Nineteenth is not the greatest place to be. That's pretty mediocre, I guess. But considering the team that Mike Miller inherited, this team was badly built. They really had no shooters. So it's a big improvement. He he played to the strengths of the team. Per one hundred possessions, the Knicks ranked second in the entire NBA of points in the paint. Um, under Mike Miller as well. That's that's just a huge bonus. Like if you have a coach that really plays to his players' strengths, then that's something that just shows that he's a good coach. Like we've seen it, um, in Greg Popovich. Now I'm not saying Mike Miller's Pop, but Pop switches his style every year to better um so that his team could play better and play to their strengths. You know, like this season, we saw that Pop relied a lot, a lot on like two-pointers, and they also played, they, they just weren't shooting a lot of threes. He didn't have a lot of three-point shooters. So yeah, I think that's something that's really good about Mike Miller. I like that he played to their strengths. His substitutions were sometimes questionable. Yes, his lineups were questionable sometimes. He a lot of a lot of Knicks fans were mad at him or I guess the Knicks organization as a whole because he really he's he's he started veterans in, in, instead of playing the young guys like as starters. I guess it makes some sense in his defense and Mike Miller's defense. He was just trying to win games. To prove to the front office. Look like. I I can win games. Just give me a team. And I can win games. I guess that makes sense. In his defense. He. The the biggest one that kind of had everyone mad. Was Mitchell Robinson playing off the bench. You know Mitchell Robinson. We all see him as like a future all-star. He has all the tools to be. But. Mike Miller kept him on the bench the entire time. He did not make him a starter. He had Todd Gibson starting. But I guess now, if you look back at it, Mike Miller did a great job with Mitchell Robinson. Like, Mitch was playing just phenomenal. He was fouling a lot less, which was his biggest, like, his biggest weakness. He he just fouled so much. And uh, Mike Miller helped him out. He was. He was at about league average in fouls per game. It was it was great and he was the most efficient uh scorer in the paint or just in in the entire NBA as well. Mike Miller made sure that Mitchell Robinson was getting quality minutes and that he was also getting uh the touches that he needed. We saw a much better play from R J as well after the all star break. Um R J was he was very um he was up and down for the season. He he sometimes would play really well, he would have like these great games and then sometimes he'll score like eight points a game and after the All-Star game he just really started consistently playing really well. I think that uh, Mike Miller put him in position to really play well. He was playing on ball a lot more. Um, he helped Kevin Knox turn it around. Kevin Knox had an atrocious season. It was it was really bad. He hit that sophomore slump, but towards the end, there Kevin Knox had to kind of earn his minutes back, and I think he did. He he started playing better defense. Yes, we all know Kevin Knox is terrible on defense, but if he can play competent defense on the team, that's that's all we can ask for from him. Even Frank Nilakina started playing a lot better towards the end. He was uh shooting more effectively. He was uh shooting threes better, he was handling the ball. It, he was playing really well. The Knicks overall were playing a lot better under Mike Miller and I just think that he 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 handled the team well. Um the Knicks me personally I believe the Knicks need a coach that can that's very low profile. Um someone who's not gonna give you some crazy headlines, and he never gave us any crazy headlines um, during his time as coach, I just I just feel like he's he's, he's the right coach, I, I wouldn't be mad if the Knicks gave him a one-year deal, maybe a two-year deal, I don't know, they brought him back, and, and he could work with the team, you know, if, if you give him a lot of shooters, I feel like he can bring the best out of all the shooters, and that just that that leads me into my next topic of i want to talk about top five free agents that the knicks should target um i made sure to emphasize shooting and versatility because that's that's just something that we really liked on the team um i tried to get players that i know are play defense um our team first and they're not they're not players that, you know, are going to just try to play for the next big contract or things of that nature. They're, they're real team-oriented. The first player I, I I chose was, this is no ranking or anything, this is just five players that I think can really help the Knicks improve. Um, the first player that I chose was Danilo Gallinari. Uh, so Gallinari is 31 years old right now. He will be 32 at the start of next season, whenever that is. I just think that Gallo would really help the Knicks with his three-point shooting and his scoring overall. Um, his numbers are pretty identical to Julius Randle, but just he, I I feel like the way he scores would help the Knicks a lot more. Nari, this past season, he averaged 19.2 points per, points per game on 43% from the field and 40% from three on seven attempts per game. That's really efficient for three-point shooting. That's something that the Knicks need badly. For example, Julius Randle was at 29% for the season. That's just that's that's below average. That's not good. Um we need shooting. If you put someone like Gallinari on a small ball lineup with like a Mitch Robinson, it just it just opens up the game and it he he, he won't clog up the paint for someone like Mitch or even an RJ who's who's a slasher. Um he can he can space the floor and it's just something that I think um the Knicks really need. Um that was a big reason why Randall and Mitch couldn't play together at the same time. Um a big um might be a big reason why Mitch also was on the bench a lot, you know. Uh Randall couldn't space the floor a lot. He was a poor three-point shooter. Especially this season where defenses really focused on him because he was our best scorer i guess you can if you want to call him that so i just i just feel like galinari even at this age if you can sign him for a year or two um he can help the knicks our young players he can help them he can help them in confidence uh he can be one of our top scorers and he's real team oriented you know and this is all of course if he can stay healthy uh, which he was this past season before that he's suffered a lot from injuries, but if he can stay healthy Then I I believe that he will help this team a lot uh, the next uh, player that I put on my list was a Lot of people have him on their list as well. Uh, I think he's the best point guard in this class of free agents it's a uh, Van Vliet and the short answer and very simple answer as to why he's on my list is we need a point guard badly. He, and and he's young. He's 26 years old. I think that just anybody you can get from the Raptors is going to be a huge plus to the team. Uh, Fred Van Vliet scored 40% from the field. I think that's a little bit of a concern because he has uh, Siakam and Kyle Lowry. Um so that's it's a concern, you know, if you have those players who can take defenses off of you and stuff, um, and you're still scoring at forty percent, I guess that's that's a red flag, but I think I think we need his scoring. He he can score, he shot thirty eight percent from three. That's also above average, that's really good, especially for someone like Van Vliet who's only six foot one, he's on the shorter end. Of NBA He shot 38% On 7 attempts per game He Only shot 3.5 Free throws per game I guess that's another red flag I would really like For the Knicks To be able to have A point guard Who can attack the rim um, He could He could Attack the rim It's not His biggest strength But It's It's something he can do I, I feel like If Given the bigger role On the Knicks He can Develop or not develop his game. Because I, I think his game is pretty much set in stone. But I think he, he can handle the bigger role. He would be one of the leaders on the team. And I just feel like we need a championship pedigree on the team. Uh, it, it'll do wonders for the young guys. Um, having a leader like that who, know, who knows what it takes to win a championship. He's a good defender. He can play on-ball, off-ball. That's something that's huge for this team because... RJ plays best when he has the ball in his hands. Um, he can create. He's, he's still learning how to create um, for others. And having someone like Van Vliet who can spot up or also help you create, you know, he can do both. That's that's just a huge bonus for this team. Uh, it's something we need a glue guy. We do have Frank Nilakina, But having someone like Van Vliet would help this team. In many ways, um, especially being that we are a young team and having someone like him, who's won a championship and knows what it takes, I, I just don't see much negatives out of it honestly, unless we sign him for like a really like a ridiculous uh, contract, which I hope we don't. But I think we might have to overpay him a little, maybe to convince him to come if he if he's even interested in the team. So yeah, that's my take on Fred Van Vliet. The next player that I have on here is Jeremy Grant. I know Jeremy Grant's not the flashiest name, I guess. But he's 26 years old. He's a very versatile defender. He defends the perimeter really well. He's not much of a bruiser down in the paint, but he can hold his own. And he can, he can defend a lot of positions. Something that we don't really have on this team except for maybe Frank maybe a little bit of Mitch Mitch could keep up sometimes with the smaller guards but he gets into foul trouble quick uh you know Frank Nillkin is the only player on the team that we really have that can switch up maybe one one to three or one to four sometimes on smaller guard um smaller forwards i think Jeremy Grant is someone that the Knicks could use as as a defender um just an overall team player. Someone that you know what you're getting out of him. He's going to give you defense and he's he's going to give you some scoring. Uh he was a big piece to OKC success. Um he's just a role player, you know, he's someone that every team needs especially if you want to be successful. And he was a he was a pretty big uh role player for the Denver Nuggets this past season as well. Uh, those are two teams that are, are are pretty good. They're really good, actually. The Nuggets are really good, and um, they're known to be very unselfish teams, and they play defense. I think that adding Jeremy Grant would help the Knicks on the defensive end. Which honestly, I know every Knicks fan is tired of having to watch a team that just gets, you know, just destroyed on the defensive end all the time. Um, I know I am I think I think we need more defenders Versatile defenders Not Not just players who Can defend In the post Or just in the perimeter No I would love to have Versatile defenders For my next uh, Free agent pickup, I Wrote Davis Bertans I know we all know Bertans As A lethal shooter I think that's really what he is he's uh 27 years old so you know he's just entering the peak of his uh his prime uh this past season he averaged 15 points per game on 43 field goal percentage 42 percent from three on nine shots that's ridiculous that's that's crazy efficient um his scoring comes almost strictly from three point range which is also something that's just pretty wild to me um he he takes only 22% of his shots from inside the three point line. So he almost never tries to score at the rim or these mid-range shots or long twos. 78% of his shots are three pointers. So, you know, we we also don't have three point shooting on the team. We don't have a designated three point shooter and I know we all love the Win Marcus Morris was shooting lights out from 3 but if we can add someone like Bertans whose main role on the team is to knock down threes then that's that's something we need we we don't have that on the team and we haven't had that since maybe Steve Novak um it's something we need badly um he reminds me a lot of JJ Redick just that he's 6 foot 10 um so he's like a bigger version of JJ Redick of uh, the Wizards did a good job of running him off of screens and finding him open instead of just spot up shooting, which I think is where you're playing to his strengths because he's he's shooting these threes, um off, off you know off these screens and everything's running through the screens and they're finding him open or getting him open and he has a quick release and he's shooting at a really high clip. Um, he's a capable defender as well. He's more of a team defender, I would say. Not so much one-on-one, but team defending was really good. So, yeah, I just feel like the Knicks will probably have to overpay if they get Bertans. I think a lot of teams are in the market to want Bertans, especially mostly for his shooting, Um, especially contenders and uh, playoff teams. But if the Knicks can get him, hey, man, I, I would be all for it. We we needed someone that could stretch the floor. If you can get Julius Randle traded and slide in Bertans at the four, that's that's a big upgrade. You you can you you space the floor a lot and you put sh- shooters around RJ Barrett and whoever our next point guard is. And you know, that's that's a pretty good offense if you can make it all work. And the next person on my list is actually another shooter who some Knicks fans kind of like, don't like Joe Harris from the Brooklyn Nets uh, I think everybody knows him just as a three-point shooter and that's that's what made him pretty popular around the league his three-point shooting but this season he actually he, he became more of a more of a scorer um, he, he's been able to score in different ways not just three-point shooting he's 28 years old so he's he's right at his prime. He he will be 29 though when the season begins next season. Um he shot 47% from the field. That's that's really good. I like that. And he shot 41% from 3. So that's right up there with Bertans and the rest of the league, you know, the elite shooters in the NBA. Uh he shot 41% on six shots. Uh, and like I said, this season he really showed that he was capable of scoring in other ways or contributing in other ways instead of just three-point shooting. Um, he he showed that he was able to make plays. He showed that he can put the ball on the floor, and he surprised me that he was able to actually score in the paint. He can like since since he's such a good three-point shooter, defenders almost always have to bite on that pump fake so like when if he gets any room and he pump fakes usually defenders are like they're ready to try to block him. but he showed that he can take them off the dribble um and take it into the paint score at the paint and i just feel like that's 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 good that he add, added that to his game and we need something like that as well we we need a shooter and we need someone that can make plays, someone that can attack the rim So I I just feel like he's he'll be a good addition. Similar to Bertans, I feel like he might have a big market this offseason. If the Knicks can sign him, he'd be a really good addition to the team. I think the Knicks are currently in they're they're like in the state where you have to overpay for good players. I know that fans don't want to overpay for anybody, but the Knicks are a bad team, they have to overpay for these players, it's a must, yes, they can overpay and be on friendly contracts, I guess sort of like a Bobby Portis or a Todd Gibson, you know, 15 million, 10 million, are they worth that, no, but I guess the Knicks saw something to them, they wanted them. I want the Knicks to take that similar approach, but for actual good players, you know. And if you can pay Joe Harris maybe a ten or fifteen million, I don't know. Maybe he might come. Um, is that an overpay? Probably, yeah. But you get yourself a lethal shooter, which the Knicks don't have, and you get yourself someone who, who's gonna help the team. Uh, he's a team player. Um, some just some honorable mentions. Uh, that I didn't go in depth with. And that I think the Knicks should take a look at is like Serge Ibaka, uh, Brandon Ingram. I don't think he's gonna leave uh, the Pelicans, but it's worth a shot. Offer him a max contract. Uh, Goran Dragic and Bogdan Bogdanovich from the Sacramento Kings. Uh, Nerlens Noel and Christian Wood. I think these are these are players who are team oriented. They know their roles and they, they they can just help the Knicks they're better than what we have now so yeah I, I just feel like for free agency we need to take that approach of having good players on the team I know a lot of Knicks fans don't like overpaying and they don't like to you know I guess sign these players for these big contracts or not big contracts but for these contracts that I guess look big but Unless they're superstars or all-stars, and I think that's just not how it works. You have to sooner or later pay for good players, build a good team, build a culture, and then hopefully um, the players will come. So that's my approach on what I think the Knicks should do in the offseason. Those are my targets. That's what I think about the coaching search, and that's pretty much it for today. So I'll see you guys next time, and thank you for listening. Yo, hello, 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 yes, no.